hope you had a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. You know that this Sunday right now is the most unanticipated Sunday in the year. <laughs> like everybody rides that high of Christmas and it's like, oh, church. So you all, kudos to you. Bonus points in heaven, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. I can't imagine how there would it be. Uh, listen, how many of you, uh, let's just be honest, how many of you, your gift did not arrive on time to the person you mailed it to? Anybody in the room, you just weren't willing to pay that money, get it there on time? No, I'm just kidding. The post office messed up. You know, uh, for, I think all of our gifts actually managed to get where they were going. It cost us an arm and a leg, but it got managed to get where it was going this Christmas season. However, we did have some gifts arrive late, and Christmas continues on even after the day of Christmas, right? The 12 days of Christmas actually start on December 25th. Did you know that? So we're actually in day five, right? And we're wrapping up our series, Unboxing Christmas. And so we're imagining Christmas is like a, a box that you get in the mail, right? Like you can subscribe to these monthly boxes. There's different items in it. And so we're wrapping up our series today with the understanding that we all love it when that extra Christmas present arrives just a few days after Christmas, right? It extends it all out. And so I thought we'd take a look and see the last item in our Christmas box for 2019. And let's see what we have in it today. Oh, this is an interesting one. Oh, this is fan. I don't know. Okay. All right. So what we have here fascinating. We have a, anybody know what this is? It's a bag. Very good. It's a bag. It's always one. By the way, I did hear you when I said, go ahead and I said, say hi to somebody and have a seat. I heard a bunch of you go, hi to somebody and have a seat. <laughs> I can't hear. <laughs> this is a triathlon kit. Anybody run triathlons, run, bike, swim? Anybody like to do that? I started doing that uh, a couple years ago, and I'm looking forward to doing my first one here. But this uh, new helmet, that's awesome. What else do we have in here? Let's see what Christmas brings me here. Oh, look at this. This is a new uh, cycling shirt. Anybody want me to put it on in front of you right now? I'm sure there's other spandex in here, but we won't worry about that. So we got... Uh, New cycling shirt from Atlantic Brewing Company. That's a brewing company in Maine. Hint, hint. This is Maine. I don't have one for a brewing company here. I do have a Greeley beef hat, though. Somebody got me this for Christmas. Where is it? Is it on backwards? I can't tell. Right there. That's it right there. It says Greeley beef. That was so funny. I had to wear it. It was one of you all. Thank you. Yeah. Got some swim paddles for laps in the pool. The most boring things you could ever do. I know that, right? So this is an interesting gift, right? This is interesting. Here's what I think this gift could help us understand, right? This gift comes with work, right? Like if I'm really gonna enjoy this, if I'm really gonna leverage this gift, right? If I'm gonna leverage the new cycling shirt, if I'm gonna leverage the swim paddles, if I'm gonna leverage the new helmet, I'm gonna have to get out on the bike and do some work, get some miles on those legs. I'm gonna have to get in the pool and get some laps going, right? And, and here's the truth. Some of our Christmas presents, right? I mean, they come with work. Let's see if we can't set this up here. Some of them come with work, you know? Like you, you get that gift and it's like, oh, wow, that's going to be fun, but, but I have to do something now. And I think what this gift kind of helps us understand is that Christmas 
comes with consequences, right? Christmas comes with consequences. Now, sometimes those consequences come in forms of presents that we want, right? Like, I, I love this gift. I love it because I, I enjoy going out and doing that, and I'm looking forward to being able to get back in that routine when I can find some sense of a routine here in northern Colorado and some weather that stays the same for more than seven hours. <laughs> What's up with that? Right? But it could be from gifts like this that, uh, you know, you, you have to work, right? You, they, there's a consequence to it. Like, I'm going to have to get out there and exert some energy, burn some calories. I'm going to get sore, all that good stuff. Christmas comes with consequences. For some of us in the room, the consequence is a credit card bill. Didn't manage it quite well, right? And so now the consequence is you got a couple of months of scrimping to pay off that bill. You got a little too generous, because you can be too generous when you start giving away money you don't have, right? When you start buying things that you can't afford, that is not generosity. That's something else. We won't talk about that, right? Sometimes it's the Christmas desserts. How many of you enjoyed some Christmas desserts, right? Those come with consequences, right? A few extra steps on the Stairmaster, right? A few extra moments in the gym, but there are actual consequences too if you really understand the meaning and the message of Christmas. If this experience over the last 29 days, right, of exploring what is Christmas all about by unboxing Christmas, by coming and being a part of a Christmas Eve candlelight service, when we hear and we experience the power of God in this message of Christmas, there are real consequences for our lives. And if we don't experience those consequences, then we really haven't experienced Christmas. And no one knows about the consequences of Christmas better than Mary and Joseph. Right? Mary and Joseph experienced the very first consequences of the very first Christmas. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, we read about the events that happened, according to Matthew, right after the birth of Jesus. So if you're new to Bible study and you're here finishing out the year, starting out the new year, I'm so glad you're here. The Bible is a collection of different writings. Uh, it is a, a great starting point for understanding kind of God's revelation to us. It can be confusing. Uh, and Matthew Matthew is the first book of the second part of these writings called the New Testament. And Matthew is one of the gospels which tells the story of Jesus. And so Matthew chapter two, I'd love to just walk through a few verses today and see what some of the original consequences were of Christmas. See if, if there's maybe a lesson for us to learn and what are the consequences for our lives if we really grasp this uh, in this season, right? So Matthew chapter two says this, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Now stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, if you were here last week, right, you, we heard a little bit about how crazy Herod was. Like he was a, pretty much a monster of a leader, right? Always, always paranoid about who was gonna try and take his power, had some of his own children killed. Right? This is certainly well within the realm of possibility given what we know about the historical Herod, right? And so this Herod is gonna try and kill uh, the child. So that night, Joseph left left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. 
And there's all these statements, by the way, if you start reading the Gospel of Matthew, there's all these little statements like this. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. And this is a little statement from a book in the Old Testament, a prophetic book. And Matthew is totally butchering the prophet. <laughs> but that's what you do in a thing called Midrash, right? I mean, the, this original prophecy had nothing to do with Jesus. It wasn't foretelling the future. It's Matthew trying to help his readers understand that Jesus is grounded in this bigger story of God. And so you're gonna actually see this two or three times in the passage we're reading today, but it's all throughout Matthew. And why is that? Because Matthew was Jewish and Matthew was writing to Jewish people trying to convince them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And so you always have Matthew going back into his Bible, like the books that he would have referred to, the prophets and the Torah, to make his point. So it's very important to Matthew, which is one of the unique features of Matthew over and against some of the other gospels, right? And but in this passage, in these first few verses, we see the first consequence of Christmas. And that was that Mary, Jesus, and Joseph became refugees overnight. Overnight, on the first Christmas, they had to flee. They took what they had, what they possessed, and they fled to Egypt. A journey from Bethlehem to Egypt might have been around 60 kilometers, 45 miles on foot. If you were going at a quick pace, that might be two days of walking, perilous journey, all kinds of danger. You know, with a, a newborn, with a child that might be under the age of two, as the story goes, that how many, I mean, it takes a long time to travel with a two-year-old in a car, <laughs> right? If you've ever done like, if you've squeezed a four-hour drive into eight hours with a two-year-old, right, you know what I'm talking about. And so this journey is not any fun. And it's important that we recognize on the very first Christmas, the Christ child and those who would be willing to enter in and participate in this divine story became refugees and they went on the run. And when Herod found out about this, Matthew tells us that he was furious that the wise men had outwitted him because the wise men didn't return back to Herod. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal actions fulfilled, here Matthew goes again, what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. Rachel uh, represented in a lot of prophetic terms like the mother of Israel. And so there's this prophecy that Matthew draws into that brings out the weeping and the, the lack of the ability for people, for these women to be comforted. And we see the second consequence of that very first Christmas was murder of the innocent and the vulnerable. You know, the Catholic Church declared that those children who were murdered uh, by Herod to be the first Christian martyrs. The first Christian martyrs, and there, there's a feast day called the Feast of Innocence, and it actually was celebrated yesterday on the fourth day of Christmas. This Feast of Innocence celebrated on December 28th every year reminds us that the Christmas story is in the heart and in the place of suffering. It reminds us that the church, right, is always called to recognize that there is a moral cost in this constant battle for power. In a world that we live in currently, we still see this. We see genocide and we see refugees. We are in like the world's greatest refugee crisis ever. And here we sit in the midst of Christmas being reminded that what causes all of those things in our world today 
what marginalizes the poor, what seeks it and continues to bring brokenness rather than wholeness is the quest and the thirst and the hunger for power. A belief that power somehow can bring about change and we look for it. I I lose my head, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I lose my head when I see people of faith turning to political leaders as if they're going to bring the answer. The role of the Christian church, by the way, is never to baptize power. The role of the Christian faith is always to call power into question, is always to live in a subservient way, is always to say, this isn't right, no matter whether they're of your political party or not. That's the role, is to call out what isn't of God, to be a prophetic voice. It's not fun, it's easy. But as soon as we start looking to our leaders and those who hold power as if they are somehow going to rescue and redeem and save this planet, we have lost it. We've missed the point of Christmas. We've missed it all. Because there's always the grab for power. We want to control power. We want to sustain power. Even in our nation, where we say, oh, there's a transfer of power every four years in our highest office, do we not recognize that there still is a controlling power within? So one person represents a controlling power, a party. Every every party's trying to maintain power, trying money, millions and billions of dollars thrown at it. It's not to say that good things can't come from those in power, but it's to say that we ought to be very skeptical of it, very skeptical of that. And we ought to sit in a space that recognizes it is God that uses the things of this world that are weak. It's God that uses the the foolish things to shame the wise. That's the heart of Christmas. And whenever power is in a struggle, the poor and the oppressed, those are the ones that have the highest casualty rate. And that's exactly what we see happening in our world. It is a mirror image of the very first Christmas. And so the scripture goes on and says that when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Go back, take the child and his mother to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So that's good news, right? So they start the journey back. So Joseph gets up and he returns to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. This was probably, by the way, about three years. Right, history tells us they might have lived about three years. We really don't, I don't know the historicity of this. Matthew could just be telling us this to help us understand and, and, and make Jesus like Moses and help people understand the story of Jesus. Historically, we really don't know. It's a matter of faith, right? But if Jesus did end up in Egypt, it would have been about three years from the time of when Herod was in power to when Herod lost power, which by the way, wasn't zero. It was probably like four, four B.C., So they head back to Egypt, right? But when he gets there, he learns that Herod's son, Archelaus, was was in charge. And so fear rises up and he's afraid to go back, where? To Bethlehem. Why? Because Bethlehem is where he lived. (laughs) According to Matthew, what Matthew understands is that this is where Joseph lived. This was their home. Mary and Joseph lived in Bethlehem. They had family there. They had a home. This was their life. But he can't go back, he's afraid. And so an angel comes again and he's warned in a dream and he leaves for the region of Galilee. And so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophet had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Again, Jesus is, Matthew is very clear on trying to put Jesus in a historical context of promise. But here we see the third consequence of the first Christmas that Mary and Joseph lived is that they were permanently displaced from their home. 
There was no going back to Bethlehem. Now, this is an interesting way of understanding the Christmas story because most of us think of the Christmas story in terms of Luke's account. Luke's account tells us that Joseph lived in Nazareth already and he had to go to Bethlehem for a census and then he went back. But Matthew tells us a very different story. That Bethlehem was his hometown, that that's where he was. And that he was unable to return to that hometown after being a refugee because of the threat of violence against his family. These are very real consequences and this is the heart, this is the context of which the Christmas story is told. This is not our context here in the West, in America. But what better context for the Christmas story of hope to be told? A story that is not for the oppressed, but is in the oppressed, right? It's not a story that just brings hope. It's a story where the oppressed are the main characters. And what this teaches us, these consequences that we see, if we'll look carefully at this story, if we'll let it set into our hearts, what it actually tells us is something so powerful is that the center of God's activity on this planet is on the path of the oppressed and not in the halls of power. See, this first Christmas story, it wasn't in the palace of kings and queens that Jesus' birth takes place. It was in the lives of ordinary, normal, oppressed, poor people. And it was there that was the epicenter. That was where God's activity was, where God was at work, God was not at work saying, oh, I'm going to rescue and save the world by bringing up the right person to to rule over Israel in the way in which the world thinks, in the world structures, in the world systems. God was saying, I'm going to bring up one who would rule and reign over Israel in a way that no one had ever thought of, in a kingdom that no one had ever thought of, one that you couldn't see, one that had no borders and no boundaries. It was like Facebook network before Facebook ever existed. Think about it. The connectivity that comes right through something like Facebook all over the world. There's no ruler, no governing, no king. And so Jesus comes and and he comes not through the power that exists, but he comes through the poverty that is being oppressed by that power. And this brings for you and for me significant consequences if we're actually going to live out the meaning and message of the Christmas story. If this is gonna be more than manger scenes and Christmas trees and gift exchanges and returns, if it's really gonna sit into our hearts, if it's really gonna make a difference in our communities, then there are consequences that it brings to our lives. The first one is this, that you and I have to look. We have to open our eyes. We have to look for the oppressed around us. Why? Because that's where you will find God. If you want to encounter Jesus, the living Christ, Find the one who's oppressed and in that person you will experience Jesus when you go and bring healing and hope. People say, oh, I just don't feel God. It's because the only time you're looking for him is in church. And it's the craziest thing to say, this isn't the moment, believe it or not, where we will encounter the true power of God. We will be encouraged and we will be motivated and and we will be with one another and that's why we gather. But it's when we go out and we find the broken and the hurting, the ones who are in some system that is oppressing them and we do whatever we can with whatever we have to eliminate that pain and that hurt. It's in that moment that you're transformed and when a person is transformed, they've encountered God. 
Truth be told, we can gather in a room like this and sing the right songs and have the light show and have the things dim at just the right time. And we can walk away feeling good. But we'll never be transformed. It's only when we come and we rub shoulders and we say, I recognize it, I see it. And once we see it, what do we need to do then? We gotta get active. We have to use the resources that we have, the time, talent, and the treasure to bring wholeness, to bind up the brokenhearted. And listen, I'm not talking about big, huge, start a nonprofit, make a podcast, raise $7 billion, end global poverty. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking at your workplace and finding that one person who looks different than everybody else and is living in oppression because of it and go and welcome them, include them. I'm talking about walking across the street to your neighbor, saying hi. When you hear the stories of someone who's oppressed by cancer, go and love and bind up the brokenhearted. Everyday normal life. Trust me, what I'm, I'm not trying to, to put on you to do something new. What I believe Christmas puts on us is a new way to do everything a new way to see everything. And really, what better like story to help us understand a new way to see everything, to take the resources that we have and use them differently than Ebenezer Scrooge, right? You know what's so funny? We call people Scrooge, right? Why do we call them Scrooge? Because they're miserly, right? They're stingy, they're not generous. But if you read the story, like Ebenezer Scrooge became like the most generous person Maybe you, right? I mean, he became the most generous person. He knew how to hold Christmas more than anyone else. Totally transformed, right? And here's a song from one of the best versions of the Christmas carol you'll ever, ever experience. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear the words of this, the Christmas story right in it. Check it out. With an open smile and with open doors I will bid you welcome what is mine is yours With a glass raised to toast your health With a glass raised to toast your health And a promise to share the wealth Promise to share the wealth I will sail a friendly course File a friendly charm On a sea of love and a thankful heart Life is like a journey knows when it ends Yes, and if you need to know the measure of a man you simply count his friends Stop and look around you The glory that you see Is born again each day Don't let it slip away Life can be. Right? Did you hear it? Stop and look around you. The glory that you see is born afresh each day. Who knew there was so much spirituality in the Muppets? You just entered the Howell living room on Christmas morning right there. We love that version. But it's so true. If we'll stop and look around us, every day presents us new opportunities to live this out. And what did Ebenezer Scrooge ultimately become? What was it that his life was transformed into? He became a person committed to living the blessed life of a peacemaker every day. 
See, that I think is what the Lord is stirring, that, that there is a blessed life of being an everyday peacemaker. This idea of bringing wholeness and healing every day of our lives, not by anything huge or big, but by the simple act of taking notice. You do realize that that's, the, that's like 99% of the battle in this world is actually slowing down enough and just noticing the pain around us. We get going and going and going. Howard Thurman, a civil rights leader and theologian, he wrote something called The Work of Christmas that sums this up beautifully. And here's what he says. When the song of the angels is stilled and when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home and when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. See, the work of Christmas begins now. Christmas always brings consequences. There's a rhythm to life. And I believe this rhythm is inspired by our creator. I don't think it's by any mistake that Christmas falls just short of the new year. Was Jesus born on December 25th? Probably not. I mean, in fact, it's like 99.99999% chance that it didn't happen. But God has inspired faith leaders in the church to establish December 25th for a whole host of reasons. But I think what sits underneath it is it calls us to remember what the year needs to be about. And isn't it true that by the time we get to September and October, we start to feel a little worn We start to feel a little torn by life. And then all of a sudden we enter a season of thankfulness. And then we enter in a season of reflection on Christmas. And then we're ready for another year. This year we're ready for a new decade. So Christmas, if we truly learn its lesson, brings with us a consequence. And that is ultimately to resist the way of power. See, to to go into the way of power is to say, the world has it right. And God has it wrong. And it is to become a friend of the world. To say, that's what I'm going to hitch my wagon to. I'll find hope and power. If we could just get enough Christians in office. If we could just get enough people of faith in power. If we could just get enough rich people in the church. If we could just raise enough money. That's the way of power in Christmas. The consequence of Christmas teaches us that that is not where God's activity was, nor do I believe it's where God's greatest activity is. It's when we embrace the way of peace, which is a path into poverty, which is a path into the broken, which is a path into the oppressed, which is a path into the elevation of the refugee and the marginalized above all. It's in there that we draw near to God. And that is what is so amazing. See, God is with us. God was working. And the epicenter of that work is always with the broken, always with the marginalized, always with the down and out. James chapter four, a letter written in the name of the brother of Jesus, tells us this. It's a harsh indictment on the early followers of Jesus who had started to go after the way of the world, this way of power. They were fighting with one another, striving, trying to be on top. And he says, you adulterers, 
It's a good way to start a paragraph. Just draws you in, right? He says, you adulterers, don't you? That, that's like the great, I should have started my message on candidate weekend with that one, right? You adulterers. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And here's the moral pietist, moral people love this, right? Oh, friends of the world, those of you that drink alcohol and watch movies and play cards and maybe even swear every now and then, Right? That's being a friend of the world. That is such a trivialization of what James is saying to us. It's, it's, what James is saying is so much harder than stopping to swear, okay? It, it, can we just put that one to rest, all right? Okay, it's a lot easier to stop looking at pornography than what James is talking about. I promise you, this is what James is talking about here is not the moralistic relativism of faith or, 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 or this understanding that God just wants you to behave in a good, proper, moral way. That's not what James is saying here. James is saying, you adulterers, you've, you're hitching your wagon with the world. You're, you're buying into the world system. You're walking away from God. You're cheating on God. Your spirit, the very nature of who you are, is longing for power and stuff. And he says, I say it again, if you want to be a friend of this world, you make yourself an enemy of God. There's no in between. If the structures and system of this world are where you're going to put your hope in, then you have made yourself an enemy of truth and hope and love. He says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. The very breath that you breathe should be faithful to love, should be faithful to the elevation of all people, the welcoming of all people. And he gives grace generously to everybody. And so God opposes the proud who would say, I'm better. I have the power. I need the power. I know better. I can. No, God opposes that, but he gives grace to the humble. So the invitation is to humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, okay, resist the devil is not think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts. Don't look at porn, don't look at porn, don't look at porn. Be nice to my kids, be nice to my kids. Don't overeat, don't overeat. To resist the devil is to resist the temptation to go into the way the world thinks that power is the solution that wealth is the solution, that stuff. That's what it means. You resist that temptation and it goes away. And what happens? You come close to God and God will come close to you. This is metaphorical language, by the way. Anytime we talk about God, it's metaphor. Because what, what, what I think at a more fuller understanding is that you experience and you are tuned into the God of the universe that is flowing and surging through everything around us. You get tapped into that reality and you experience it because it comes near to you because you've said, I don't want to have the structures and the promises of power and wealth and the ways of this world. I don't want that in my mind clouding my ability to see God really at work. So God will come close. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, right? Step away from this friendship with the structures and systems of the world. For your loyalty is divided. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. This is what it means to humble yourself. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. He will lift you up in honor. 
And so this morning, as we head into the new year, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. God is gonna give you an invitation to take a few moments as we receive communion and to enter into this invitation of humility. To reflect on is Christmas just something that you celebrate or is it something that actually has consequences? All these people are not walking out of the message, by the way. They're, <laughs> they're, they're getting the communion ready. People are like, what did he say? But here's the invitation to pause and reflect, to humble yourself, to really say, is, is the way in which I govern and steward my life is it really in alignment with God's desire? Does my heart leap at opportunities to be generous with my time, talent, and treasure? Or do I see it as just another thing that someone wants from me? Do I live in such a way that I'm blessed to be a blessing? Do I see those things in my life as not simply for my own enjoyment and my own pleasure, but for the opportunity to bring wholeness and healing to the world around me? And so that's today what the invitation is. As we receive communion, as we pause, as we get ready to head into the new year, to consider this Jesus who did not consider himself God, even though he was, he humbled himself and God exalted him so that every knee should bow and every tongue can pass. See, at the end of the day, our ministry emphasis that, that's gonna happen every year, spoiler alert, is a rhythm, is a reminder of this. And to launch it at Christmas pushes us back into the kingdom of heaven with our time, our talent, and our treasure. It's so easy to let that slip away. It's so easy to get caught up in the way and the, the wisdom of the world. And so we pause and we reflect and we say, okay, Lord, you've invited us in to a different kingdom. You've invited us into something that's so fundamentally backwards compared to the rest of the world. Kingdom that says the losers are the winners. The blessed are the poor. In the Beatitudes, nowhere does it say blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the wealthy. Blessed are those who hold all the purse strings and have all the keys. Blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who weep and blessed are those who are poor and blessed are those who are poor in spirit. This is the way of God. This is where we find God. And if we will commit ourselves to those that are the least of these and recommit ourselves to that on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, we will encounter God. We will live in his hope regardless of our circumstances. And we will truly experience the consequences of Christmas. I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you're a guest here today, uh, we have open communion, which just means every person is welcome to come and receive the bread and the cup. These are ancient symbols that bring modern meaning into our hearts and our lives. And so uh, the cup represents uh, the blood of Jesus that was shed on a cross and the bread represents the body of Christ. Paul wrote to uh, believers saying you should do this often to remember Jesus. And so we do that. We carry that tradition. There's nothing mystical or, well, there might be something mystical, but there's nothing magical about this. There's no like, we didn't sprinkle fairy dust on it or anything like that. It's just regular old not gluten-free bread and non-alcoholic juice. It's all gluten-free, all of it for you and you and you and you. 
And so everybody's invited to experience God in this moment. The prevailing belief in antiquity was that, you know, you couldn't be forgiven unless something was sacrificed. This was the economy of relationships. You couldn't enter into a relationship or a covenant without the shedding of blood to saw how serious you were. And so God entered into that foolishness so that we might be free from it. So that we might understand we are his beloved. And no matter how hard we try and hide in our shame and in our woundedness and in our wounding, God is pursuing us. And that's what this moment is about. So I'm gonna invite you as we sing this song to come forward and uh, receive the bread and the cup. And then will you just hold the bread and the cup and then we'll all have it together as a sign of unity, right? There's something that I believe is so universal about the death of Jesus for the whole planet. That God so loved the world, seven billion people. Everyone of every faith of every religion is loved by their creator. And so when we pause and we hold it and we take it together, we're kind of bringing ourselves, we're binding ourselves together and binding ourselves with Jesus, finding healing and strength and nourishment. So just hold on to it and then we'll pray. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, come and receive this morning. And eat the bread and drink the juice. It's my prayer that you and I would realize and understand and experience this amazing backwards truth through the broken body of Christ, that it is in the broken things in this world that we will encounter the Christ. The body of Christ broken for you and every person on this planet, regardless of race, religion, gender, sexuality, disability, Jesus died for all that every knee would experience, would bow, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord through a way of love. The body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. And I pray that today as we drink this juice, we would understand a deep significance that in the shedding of Christ's blood was meant to be the ending of shedding blood in this world. That as people who follow Jesus, that live out this faith, we long for a day where swords will be beaten into plowshares, where there will be no more war. And we live in a way that calls into question the decisions that would promote violence and death because we serve a God of love and hope and light. The blood of Christ shed for you and every person on this planet, including the people you work with that are hard to love, including the person who doesn't know how to use the rotary, including the person who is caught up in addiction, including the person who has it all together, including the person who gives everything of themselves and including the person who would never part with a penny to help the poor because God is no respecter of men. God loves all of us, all of his humans equally and that's what unites us. The blood of Christ shed for you, take and drink. So Lord, we dedicate this year to the ministry of families and children 
We dedicate ourselves to being everyday peacemakers, to loving this world as you have loved this world sacrificially, to bring dignity and honor to those the world would bring shame, and to face whatever consequences that brings into our lives. Thank you for your grace, your hope, your truth. Thank you for your sustaining power. Thank you that it is through the body of Christ that we are sustained, that we experience forgiveness and grace. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ nourish your soul, empower you. May you walk away from here knowing that you have been given all authority in this world that you have been given all the resources that you need to bring wholeness and healing to the world around you, that God has divinely placed you right where you are for his reason. And may your eyes be opened, may your heart be full, and may your hands be active in bringing peace. Amen.